How many times do you have to hear something before you get it? Some say 20 times. 20 times. So I should have spoken 20 times about what I wanted to happen today, and maybe it might have been good. Some say seven is the sufficient number, and some say three. All of us hear what is being spoken. We may not always listen to what is spoken or understand what is spoken. And Jesus comes into our lives. He invades our lives, and he communicates to us individually. And when he does, he wants our undivided attention to listen, to understand, and to then apply what he says. And sometimes, we must be honest, he has to knock on the door of your heart multiple times, speak into the ear of your heart, and say it more than once before you understand it and before you get it. Isn't that true? I mean, we're kind of slow, aren't we? Come on. We're kind of slow, aren't we? And he sometimes has to communicate multiple times the very same thing into our lives, often many different ways to get us to the point where we hear it, we understand it, and we get it. And in our passage today in Matthew 25, Jesus takes This long message, one of the longest discourses or the longest passages that we have of a continued sermon to his disciples, it it takes up two full chapters, 24 and 25. You, You won't find, other than the Sermon on the Mount, I don't think, a longer sermon than this one to the disciples on the Mount of Olives. And the reason why Jesus says the same thing multiple times is because he knows his disciples. He knows them. This isn't the first time he's spoken about this subject, about his return, and about the kingdom that he's going to set up. And every time he communicates this, maybe the window of understanding opens a little bit more and a little bit more, but he takes the time. This is one of the largest addresses that he makes just before his crucifixion and his death, ultimately to rise from the dead, that he has to interject this concept into the mind and into the heart and the actions of his disciples. And so in Matthew 25, we're going to sort of recap what we have studied for the last two Sundays, beginning with Easter Sunday, about the return of Christ. And the reason why we're doing that is because we're all slow to get it. So turn to your neighbor and say, I think he's talking about you, he's not talking about me. We're all a little slow. And so as we continue... From 24 into 25, we're going to continue with the importance of the words of Jesus. Now, Jesus thought this was important enough to take two chapters to talk about it. The Holy Spirit inspired Matthew to record two chapters about the return of Christ. He thought it was that significant, that importance, important for the lives of his disciples. And so because he thinks it's that important, we too also need to think and understand this is important. And in chapter 25, verses 1 through 13, he talks about the importance of while we wait for the return of Christ, we must prepare ourselves. Because once he comes, there's no more opportunity to prepare yourself. This is the time, this is the moment, this is the opportunity before he returns for us individually, personally, to prepare for the return of Christ. For once he comes, the door will be shut and the opportunity will be lost and those who are prepared will go and those who are not will not go. 
into the wedding feast and enjoy heaven. So while we wait for the return of Christ, we must prepare ourselves. Now, we saw Easter Sunday in chapter 24, beginning with verse 1, how Jesus gets through speaking to his disciples in the temple, preaching proclaiming the gospel message inside of the temple. They are leaving the temple. They leave one of the gates. They are walking down the streets of Jerusalem. And if you remember what we've been talking about, the disciples point to the temple and say, wow, what a, what a piece of work. This is an incredible man-made thing to contain, to, to, to occupy, or to make for the presence of God to dwell. This is, this is a magnanimous, this, this is an incredible, this is a beautiful place that we have built for God to, for his presence to dwell. There's no greater pace. What, what do you think, Jesus? And he turns to his disciples and he says, in three days, this temple would be destroyed. And so he's making his way through the city streets. I can imagine the disciples are just, they're astounded by this this comment that Jesus has made, and on their way to Bethany, where they're spending the night, a familiar place called the Mount of Olives is there, and they're standing there, and they're looking down at Jerusalem, and they're seeing the temple, and Jesus takes the opportunity in the moonlight, by the light of the, of the lanterns in the streets, as they see the city and they see the temple, to give what we call the Olivet Discourse. This is where Jesus now takes some time to talk about and drive in the nail of his return and his soon and coming kingdom. And he wants his disciples to understand fully what is to be expected and how they then are to prepare for this incredible event. So in Matthew chapter 25, while we wait, what do we do? Let's take a look at Matthew 25. Now, Jesus is well aware that there are many different styles of learners in here. How many of you learn by simply listening? You learn by simply listening. You can hear it and you, you got it. Come on, let me see some hands. Anybody? How many of you learn by seeing? you got to see it before you understand it. How many of you learn it by doing it? Okay. How many of you just have a hard time learning altogether? Okay. So uh, we're all in that same boat. Notice I had my hand up in all three times. I learned basically all three ways. And it takes me several times to hear it. And, and Jesus wants here in this passage for his disciples to hear it, to listen, to get it, and then to put it into practice. So while we wait for the return of Christ, there are five things that he wants us to do. Number one, he wants us to prepare wisely. While we wait, we must prepare wisely. Look at the text, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like the ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil. You need to look. They took no oil with them. But the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. Now, we have two groups of bridesmaids. Five are described as foolish, and five are described as wise. And Jesus is using... A parable in which he is describing an event, an activity that everyone that is listening and hearing his words, these disciples who are there, would clearly understand exactly the picture that he's trying to paint. He's trying to paint a picture through a parable to help them visibly see exactly what he has just described in Matthew chapter 24. So as he's painting this picture, he's painting a picture of a wedding. And, and, and they are familiar with all of the events and the activities surrounding a wedding. There, there is the engagement period, much like we have today. 
And sometimes these engagements were set up by the parents. And I've been trying to set up Caden, our, our youngest grandson, with a, a few of the beautiful young ladies in our church, and uh, not yet got any, 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 any dowries in exchange for that, but I'm working on it. But anyway, so the, the parents sometimes arranged this, or maybe they met and they became engaged, and that period could last uh, an undesignated amount of time, not normally longer than a year. Then there was the, the betrothed period where they actually were married legally. And in order to break up the marriage, you had to go through a divorce proceeding and give a, a certificate of divorce. So even though they had not consummated the relationship in this betrothal period, they were married, but they had not consummated the relationship. They would not consummate the relationship until the wedding feast. That's the third stage of a marriage in which the groom would prepare himself in his home and he and his his best men and all those guys would come to the bride's home and they would pick up the bride and her and her bridesmaids would then walk back through the city streets to his home, maybe the home of his parents or maybe during this period he's been building a home for him and his new bride, his new wife, and they would then walk through the city streets and they would carry these lanterns or they would carry these torches and they would light up because more than likely this was done maybe just as the sun was setting and so the, the torches and the lamps would light up the path and it was a time of celebration and the whole community would come together and it was a time of dancing and singing and, and they would just dance on the way to the groom's home where they would feast for about a, a week. Talk about gluttony. That's why I think they were Baptist. And they would feast for about a week just depending on how well off the groom was. And everyone was invited. And so here we have this beautiful picture of Jesus painting here this wedding for his disciples as he's talking about how we must prepare wisely for the return of Christ. And he talks about the groom, and he talks about the bride. The groom is Jesus, and the bride is, um, the, groom is Jesus and the bride is the church. And so we are the bride, we're the church, and Jesus the groom is the one who is coming to get his church and take us to his home, the home that he's prepared for us. And so he talks about the kingdom of God in that me, I am the groom, and I'm coming for my bride. Now, he's painting the picture of the bridesmaids who have been invited to participate. They, they are all there at the bride's home. They Each of them bring lanterns or they bring torches. There's a, a huge debate or, or a Somewhat of a disagreement as to what this was. Was it a lamp or was it a torch? It really doesn't matter. I like to use torch because it makes and paints for me a better picture. And these torches had, were on sticks and they had uh, cloths that were wrapped around them. And the cloths did not burn, but the oil on the cloths would burn. And so these bridemaids, these ten of them, had all been invited. They had all gathered there at the bride's home and they were waiting for the groom to come. And, and when they came to the bride's home... All ten brides brought the same things. They brought the same stick with the same uh, cloth on it dipped in oil. And so they all came prepared. Now what we're going to notice is there are five that Jesus calls wise and five that are called foolish. And the reason why the five are called foolish, not sensible, or what you might call stupid, because stupid is as stupid does, the wise who are sensible, they plan ahead. 
They plan ahead. They think through the process. They are preparing themselves for possibly a delay. And just what if I need more oil for my lamp or my torch, I can dip it in the oil and light it and have plenty to make the procession to the groom's home. And so the wise bring a bucket or they bring a jar or they bring something in which contains more oil, but five who are foolish do not bring anything except the lantern or the torch that they had that was already there, and it, it is lit at the bride's home, and they're waiting for the groom to come while they're lit so that the, as the groom comes, they can welcome him in receiving his bride, and they can then go to the groom's home. So here we have five wise and five foolish bridesmaids. And the point that I think that Jesus is making is this. Five were foolish and five were wise. Five were foolish and five were wise. There are the same amount of people who are foolish as the same amount of people who are wise. But the preparedness of the five who were wise was ample, was sufficient, and was what was needed in order to receive the groom. And the five who were foolish when the groom came, we're going to discover, caught themselves, found themselves unprepared for the groom's return and were not allowed into the wedding feast. And I think the point that he's trying to make here is that when Christ returns, when I return, there are going to be some foolish people. Because, you see, they think that they're prepared. Because, you see, every one of those bridesmaids were looking for the groom. They were expecting, anticipating, longing for the groom to come. They clearly expected they would be a part of the wedding feast, a part of the ceremony, that they would get to dance into the home of the groom and be a part of the wedding feast. But when he came, they were foolish, and they found themselves unprepared for his, return, for his coming. And they were not allowed access, but they thought they were ready. You know, I think there's a lot of people today who are expecting Christ to return. They're anticipating on being a part of the wedding feast. But when he returns, they're going to find themselves unprepared. They've not prepared wisely. They have prepared foolishly. They have been a part of the community that is awaiting the return of Christ. And I think these, I think sometimes, are the people that are a part of the congregations and the churches who, 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 are, who are among us, who somehow claim to know Christ, but in their claim, there's no conversion. In their connection, there's no conviction. There's no personal relationship. And as a result of what they think they are in, in the process, I, I believe I am ready, but when it returns, they're going to find themselves caught unprepared and unready for the return of Christ. And how tragic that will be because they have not prepared wisely. And we must prepare wisely for the return of Christ. And make sure and ensure that we are prepared rightly. Not only must we prepare wisely, but we must persevere expectantly. It's interesting in the text we see in verse 5. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and they slept. But at midnight there was a cry. There is a bride, here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Now notice in verse 5, as the bridegroom was delayed. There's a delay. Jesus does not tell us why the bridegroom was delayed. It doesn't really matter because he is 
uh, he, is, he, is, he is the groom. Did I say bridesmaid? He is the, the bridegroom. He is the groom. He is the one who is uh, center stage. I, I think Brother Denny and I talked about this not long ago when, when we talked about the wedding and all of that. Did you know that in the wedding, in the day of Jesus, that it wasn't the bride that was the center of attention, it was the groom? I say we go back to that. What do you think, guys? Yeah, come on, guys. Are you, are you brave enough, guys? Chickens. <laughs> Bunch of chickens. I, I, never mind. <clears throat> I'm in trouble as it is. But anyway, <laughs> the groom was the center of attention, not the bride. And he knew that whenever he got there, the wedding feast would not happen because you know what? The wedding feast is at his house. And he knows that those people that are invited, they're expected to come to the wedding feast, no matter how long he is delayed, they will wait. You know what? If you want to eat, you'll wait till you're called to eat. You know what I'm talking about? And so he knew, for whatever reason, whatever the delay was, it was, it was totally up to the groom. He was delayed for some reason, but he knew that, that the thing could not start without him, that they would not leave without him. And so whatever delayed him, he was not really in a hurry because there was a time and place for him to come. He had a plan. There was a purpose. There was something he was doing, and he was going to come. And so during that delay, notice what happens. They all became drowsy and slept. Now, I don't know about you, but that bothers me a little bit. They all. I mean, as I read this, I thought, you know, the, the not-so-smart, the foolish five, I would have expected would have fallen asleep, and the wise would have stayed awake. Wouldn't you? I mean, they were, they were sensible. They were intelligent. They were thought, you know, thoughtful. They, they understood that in the day he would eventually come and being wise as they were to bring enough oil, they'd be wise enough to stay awake and the foolish would fall asleep. But here it says, they all 10 fell asleep. All 10 fell asleep during the delay. I don't know about you, but I like a good nap. I said, I like a good nap. Not in here, though. I know that's disappointing. And I think God ordains naps. And God has ordained sleep. And, and I don't know why, but I woke up four or five times last night, and I didn't get very good sleep. But I like to sleep. You know, when I was younger, I would sleep only about four hours a night, and that was sufficient. As I have grown a little bit older, <clears throat> a little bit older, it's gotten to be where now I need about six to seven hours of sleep. But I'm told as I get older, I will sleep less. Is that true? Not? Not. It depends. I think God ordains sleep. And, and we see here that Jesus, in describing this parable, he does not rebuke them for sleeping. But the delay took so long, they lost their expectancy as to his soon return. And in their physical tiredness, they went to sleep. I think there are many of us today who are physically tired. We are spiritually worn out. We have been engaged in battle for so long that we have put down our armor and we have sat down to take a nap. And we are not pers persevering with an expectancy that Jesus is going to return at any moment. 
For you see, the opportunity that we have is in this delay. And it's not just for those who prepare themselves spiritually for his return so that when he comes back, they will be ready. There are many of us in here who have made ample preparation, like the five wise uh, bridegrooms, uh, uh, bridesmaids who have made themselves ready. They, they brought enough oil, they were ready, but we have fallen asleep in that we are not attentively, actively alert, waiting, working, and watching for his return. And I wonder, are you asleep spiritually? You're not making any progress. There is no movement. There is no sense of expectancy. There is no urgency. There's no sense, you know what, I got plenty of time. I think the church at large is asleep. And there are many who will not have a clue when Christ returns if somebody doesn't say, hey, you need to wake up, he's coming. Because we're not looking up to the sky waiting for his arrival. There's no expectancy. And because we're not expecting him and the delay seems long, we're physically, emotionally, and spiritually tired, we're just sit back, kick back, relaxed, and just taking it easy. Because you know what? I've got tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. But notice at midnight there was a cry. Now, it's not the fact that it happened at midnight, but the idea is when they least expected the groom to come. They least expected him to come at midnight. And when they least expected the groom to come, somebody let out a shout. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. And the ten virgins, the ten bridesmaids, had to wake up from their sleep to welcome the king. I wonder if you need a jolt today to wake you up. Because you see... I believe, as we saw last week, the groom is coming. He's coming. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist. Pardon me, uh, Manuel, if you're here, you may be over in the children's area. He is a rocket scientist. When he first introduced himself to me, Rich Manuel, he introduced himself as a rocket scientist. He works on airplanes, and he's in combustion. (laughs) And so he works in rocket fuel. But it doesn't take a rocket scientist as we saw last week, to read the signs, to know he is coming soon. He's coming soon, church. And we need to be awake. We need to be alert. We need to be expecting him to return. And we need to persevere. This is not a time for us to sit back, kick back, relax, close our eyes, and sleep. Because once the opportunity has happened, it is gone. And we must not only prepare wisely we must persevere expectantly but number three we must present authenticity we must present authentically ourselves when he arrives now i want you to notice as we read this text that the five foolish bridesmaids (laughs) wanted to to sort of piggyback on the five wise bridesmaids who were ready so that they could somehow fool the groom in in making him think that they were ready for his arrival when in fact they were not. And, And I'm convinced that God has no grandchildren. God has no children in the sense that we cannot piggyback on someone else's preparedness. 
And, and these ladies wanted to present themselves to the groom as if they were ready, but they were not ready because they didn't bring extra oil like the five wife, wise bridemaids did. And so look at the text in verse 7. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. All ten, when they heard the cry, they got up and they started preparing their lamps. They started getting ready. And, 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 and as they were getting ready, all ten, I think, realized that they needed more oil for their lamps or for their torches. Because we see in verse 8, And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. You see, until this moment, these ladies did not understand, they did not realize that they were not ready. They thought they were ready. They believed they were ready. Well, when the groom came, all of a sudden they realized, I ain't ready. Bad grammar, good theology. I'm not ready. My, my lamp, my, my torch is going out. I didn't bring enough oil. I'm not prepared for the groom's coming. And so it says here, they turned to the wise bridesmaids who were prepared and they dared say, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. Notice their request. Let me piggyback on your preparedness because I'm not prepared for the coming of the groom. Jesus is coming and I'm not prepared, so I need to piggyback on your faith. I need you to carry me into the, into the promised land. I don't have enough faith of my own. I did not put my faith in Christ, so I, I need your faith to substitute for my lack of faith. But notice the, request, the, the response, verse 9. But the wise answered, saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. It's not their responsibility to help them be prepared. They should have prepared themselves. But also, there's not enough to go around. Because the five wise bridesmaids realize, if I give these five unprepared bridesmaids what we have, I won't be prepared. And so, somebody needs to answer that phone. Thank you. And so we, we, have, we have here this understanding and this, this idea that these five unprepared bridesmaids think that somehow these these, these prepared ones are going to share, they're going to exchange, they're going to piggyback, they're going to ride on the preparedness and on the faith of the other five who are wise. And the reality is, that's not authenticity, because when we stand before the king and when he comes, Jesus Christ returns, our groom, our savior, all hypocrisy will be exposed. And there are many who think that they're ready. There are many that think that they have ample preparation. There are many who, who have, have worked out their, 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 their faith, they think. And they think, when he comes back, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be ready. And when they stand before Christ, he's, they're, they're going to present to him their preparedness. And he's going to say to them, I, I never knew you. You're, you're not spiritually ready. 
And hypocrisy will be exposed. And those who think they were ready will find out that they're not. And we must understand that we must search our hearts for the authenticity of our own preparedness to know deep in our hearts according to what Jesus said, what the Word said, and what the requirements are because he has set the requirements in stone. I read today, you sent me a a deal about, uh, oh, what was that baseball player? It's off the top of my head. You don't remember either. Yeah, it's 17. Uh, what was the name of the baseball player, though? That's what I get for up my head is, is flying with numbers here. But a famous uh, baseball coach got up at this large conference, and he had a, a 17-inch baseball uh, first plate on him and said, you know, there's 17 inches on a, on a home plate. And if a pitcher can't strike a pitch over the 17 inches, we don't make it 18 or 19 or 20 to give him more room to qualify for a strike, do we? Do we do that? So why do we think we're going to to stretch the requirements that God has met in order to gain access to the wedding feast to heaven because some have failed to measure up to the requirements that God has already set? He He requires authenticity. And we expect an umpire, when it doesn't fall over that 17 inches, to call a ball, not a strike. Why? And, and, and I think one of these days our, our, our society is going to say, you can't do that. That's not politically correct. <laughs> you think they're going to do that someday? I mean, did we think we'd get to where we are today about 20 years ago? Pretty soon there won't be any strike zone because, you know, what's a strike to you is a strike to you. What's a strike to me is a strike to me. And so, hey, I didn't see a strike. Well, you were, you know, so there, there are no standards. But there is a standard for authenticity that God has set. And the only way, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. And the only way is through me. There is no other path. There is no other way. And so authenticity will be required of all of us in measuring up and meeting the standard that God has already set. And if we don't measure or meet up to the standard... We're not authentic. And we must present an authenticity. Number four, we must perceive that there's an urgency in our preparedness. Verse 10, and while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. The, the five foolish who, who had left to buy, and the groom is coming. They, they have been warned that he's coming, and so they think that they have plenty of time to go and to knock on a door and to find a store that's open. I don't know about you, but... Midnight stores are not normally the ones that you want to shop at. And I remember there was, there was a time in my life that at 12 o'clock at night, you more than likely would not find any stores open because my, my grandmother used to say, nothing good happens past 10 o'clock. I remember when 10 o'clock came, the sidewalks were rolled up and the doors were closed and shops were closed and everybody went home and they went to bed. You remember those days? Yeah, they're not like that anymore, is it? So let's not confuse our culture with their culture. And I'm convinced that when they left, they heard he was coming, and they left to go buy some more oil so they'd be prepared. All right? And in their disappointment, while they were out trying to buy oil, the groom came. And they're going to be disappointed because notice the delight of those who were ready. And those who were ready went in with him and the marriage feast. Man, there was dancing, and they made their way through the streets. They were kind of like Michelle over here. They were dancing through the streets, and they were singing and praising God, and they were following the groom and the bride and the whole wedding party, and they made it into the house, and the wedding feast started, and those who were ready were welcomed into the wedding feast as they welcomed their 
room. But notice the discovery. And the door was shut. The door was shut. It was locked. It was closed. It was never to be reopened by anyone who was on the outside. Kind of reminds you of Noah, doesn't it, once the floods came. The door was closed. The opportunity is over. After they all went in and the marriage feast started and all the dancing and singing and celebration, that what heaven's going to be like? Man, it's going to be a glorious time. And some of you Baptists are going to turn a little bit Bapticostal and you're going to raise your hands and start, you know, you'll, you'll have a beat and you'll be able to move your feet and you'll be able to celebrate. And many of you will sing on key and, and in rhythm and in tune or whatever it is. And after the other virgins came also, the door was shut. When they came, pulled on the door, locked. Now, did you notice here that they found oil? Jesus doesn't tell us they found oil. So I'm assuming that they tried to prepare, but they were not able to prepare themselves. They didn't buy any oil. They had no oil. Their their lamps or their torches were out. They were extinguished. And yet they still wanted to get in to the wedding feast, to the ceremony, to the celebration. They discovered that they are locked out. Imagine how disappointed they were. Verse, verse 11, second part. And as they were banging on the door, notice what they were saying. Lord, Lord, open to us. They're declaring that he is their Lord. He is their master. He is their king. Oh, Lord, Lord. And I just mentioned earlier that there are some who are going to say, Lord, Lord, did we not? Lord, did we not? Lord, did we not? And he's going to say to those on judgment day, depart from me. I never knew you. They call him Lord. There is a confession without conviction and conversion and there are many today who call Jesus Lord who do not know him at all and they're going to be hugely disappointed on 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 the day when he returns as these bridesmaids were verse 12 and he answers to them truly I say to you I do not know you he denies even knowing them and the point that I want to make here is that missed opportunity Once we miss it, it is gone. We today need to perceive this sense of urgency that I believe Christ is coming soon. He's coming soon. He may be be coming in your lifetime. And I don't know about you, but I've lived 60 years, and it feels like time has gone by just like that. Now, some of you guys who are younger think that time's going slow, but I guarantee you at some point you'll look in the rearview mirror and, and, and you'll go, wow, where did the time go? And, and time is, 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 is of the essence, and these, these are critical moments and opportunities, and, and we need to be urgent about where we are and Christ's return because if we believe in our heart of hearts that he is coming soon, then why isn't there more of a sense of urgency on our part about getting ourselves ready and helping others then prepare for his return? Jesus says, lastly, that after we prepare wisely, persevere expectantly, present authenticity, and perceive the urgency, we must, number five, practice reliability. 
There's a faithfulness that is exhibited on the part of those who authentically, genuinely believe that he is coming soon. And this sense of urgency that we have lost somehow sort of gets us in this whole idea of, of, of understanding that, that we don't need to watch. But notice the words of Jesus. He said, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. That word watch means to be alert, to be attentive, and to be aware. Are you alert, attentive, aware, and active in looking, waiting, anticipating the return of Christ? I contend to you that most of us in this room are not, and we don't give it much thought today. And the question is, why don't we? When Jesus says, watch, because of what I have just said, therefore, watch, because of what I have just said, you don't, <laughs> don't get caught unprepared, therefore, watch, for you do not know the, the day, the moment, the time when he will return. I want to I ask you, if you would, to turn to a couple of verses. Luke 21. It's, it's not going to be on your screen, but Luke 21. I, I want to see some other words that Jesus tells us to watch. Luke 21, 34. Luke 21, 34. We're going to close with these two verses. Luke 21, 34. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dis dissipation and drunkenness, cares of this life. And that, day, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth or the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Stay awake at all times. Mark 13, turn there, Mark 13, 32, the words of Jesus again to remind us that this is not the first time that he's spoken to his disciples about this very same subject. Mark 13, 32 says, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven or the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be on guard. Keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey, and when, the when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, people, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or in the midnight, or when the rooster crows are in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. We need to be a church that is awake, that is actively looking for the return of Christ, his imminent return at any moment, for soon the trumpet of God will blow and the dead in Christ will rise and those of us who remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds and we will be forever with the Lord. Now some of us in here will die before that happens. It doesn't matter whether you die or whether you're resurrected, it's the same thing for you. Are you ready to meet your maker right now? If he were to come this very moment, would he find you waiting, prepared, expectant, working out your salvation, not only preparing yourself, but being the agent, 
the vessel, the tool, the instrument, the witness that he wants you to be. Broadcast this glorious good news that we call the gospel. Warning others. He's coming back. And it's soon. And I'm convinced when we start feeling and sensing that expectancy, others will too. Around you. Because it's catchy. And so as we close with this final question here is, am I ready? Am I ready for the return of Christ? Are you ready? Are you ready? Honestly, I'm not sure I'm ready. There are things I still want to do. There are people that I still want to talk to. There are things that I'd like to see God do through our church. And I wonder how much time we have left before the trumpet of God blows and Christ returns as he promised he would. And I wonder when he does, individually, will he find you ready? There are many who are connected to the church and who are actively a part of the community like those bridesmaids, those ten. They're awaiting the, the Messiah. They're looking for the groom. They, are, they, they, they think they have ample preparation. But when he comes, they're going to find themselves not ready. Are you one of those? Are you ready? Do you know that you know that Jesus Christ is your Savior and your Lord? You have confessed your sin. You have been birthed by the Spirit of God and He has breathed new life into you and you know that you know that Christ is your Savior and Lord. Because when you stand before Him on accountability day, for all of us will, no one is going to stand with you. You can't piggyback on anybody's faith. And you'll stand accountable to Him. Are you ready, unbeliever? Believer, are you ready? I'm convinced that many of us will have to be awakened upon his arrival because we are spiritually asleep. And it's time for us as a church to awaken and arise to the, to the mission and to the commission that Jesus has given us. For one day, it'll be over. I don't know about you, but I want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have run a good race. You have fought a good fight. Now come and enter into your reward. Is that what you'll hear?
Good morning. As you come in this morning, we have the privilege of beginning our worship time together with the ordinance of baptism. We have three people coming this morning to give testimony of what God has and will continue to do in their life. This is Ramona, and if you are here as part of Ramona's family, her life group, or a friend, would you stand? Thank you for being here this morning as she takes this next step in her disciple journey. Ramona, have you come to that place where you've asked Jesus to come into your heart to be your savior and your boss, and is it your desire to be marked as his follower and to follow him all the days of your life? Yes. Because of that decision, it's my privilege this morning to get to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're buried with Christ in baptism, and we're raised to walk in newness of life. This is Mary, and if you are part of Mary's family, a friend or life group, and you've come to celebrate this decision with her this morning, would you stand so we can honor you as well? Mary and her daughter Jerry are coming this morning to give their testimony, and they were invited by another one of Mary's daughters who came and came to know the Lord, and now mom and other sister have done likewise. Mary, have you come to that place in your spiritual journey that you know you've asked Jesus to come into your heart to be your savior and your boss, and is it your desire to be marked as his follower and to follow him all the days of your life? I do. Because of that decision, it's my privilege to get to baptize you this morning in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're buried with Christ in baptism, and we're raised to walk in newness of life. This is Barry's daughter, Jerry. Again, if you're part of her family, would you stand? Jerry, have you come to that place in your life, your spiritual life, where you've asked Jesus to come into your heart to be your savior and your boss, and is it your desire to be marked as his follower and to follow him all the days of your life? Yes. Because of that decision this morning, it's my privilege to get to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're buried with Christ in baptism. And we're raised to walk in newness of life. 